Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where your smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. Everybody, we are this is on a Wednesday night. We bring the big names, have the big fun. We've got the big, uh, big guns, big guns. Charlie Vela on on the session tonight. I love if if you watch the poster, you know. If you don't know, you don't know. So how are you? How are you going, Charlie? How's how's your day been? What's been happening? Having a great week, Jeff. I tell you what, this is uh, hopefully the highlight. I've been excited about this all day, just kicking around, telling friends and family. So hopefully, some will join us tonight. I, t- I, t- I told my mum and she said oh, I might come along if uh, if there's if there's somebody yes and she she's going to tune in tonight apparently. Oh. <laughs> Hello, mum, <laughs> Mrs. Miles. Yeah, she's. I should get her. I was going to get her on the call, but that that might be interesting. Joe, how how are you going? I'm good, mate. I am good. I am. Um, I'm absolutely pumped for this one. Charlie's. Um, Charlie's some big guns. Um, so I'm. I'm. I'm very well, mate. This is. This is, is the be, highlight of ju- my day. Is it going to be juicy, Joe? Because you, I know mm-hmm. you love it being juicy. All love it being juicy. juicy. All about yeah. the juice. If you're juiceless, you're useless. That's what I say. Jeez, I love it. So, what about you, Jeff? How's your day, mate? You full of beans, full of juice? Yeah, yeah, full of juice. That's a funny way of putting it. All these, uh, all these weightlifting kind of analogies. I promise I'm not on the juice. Uh, otherwise, yeah, what's going on there? But uh, so yeah, throw your comments, throw your questions. My day was really good, everybody. Uh, I was, uh, it was. I love the weather here in Sydney. Fantastic. Just the, just the time to be in lockdown. Of course, everybody loves kind of. This, but uh, of course, we're going to be out by the time summer comes around. So it'll be 45 degrees here in Sydney, and and uh, happy days, and we'll be out and, and mingling, hopefully. Um, but no, no comment on things. So on on that. So let's let's get straight into because I know there's so many things we want to cover off. So what's uh, Charlie? I know you've probably got about 15 life hacks. Do you have a life hack? We didn't ask this question for the show, but I, I imagine you've got one up your sleeve. You're not wearing sleeves. I was ready for this. I have seen some of the previous slides, so I put some thought into it. I would say the number one thing I have done this year and probably in the last few years is Ooh. we have stopped cooking in our household. We get all our meals delivered, Ooh. all of them Ooh. prepared and delivered, and uh, it has saved us so much time. We just didn't realize how much time we were spending on preparing, cooking food, shopping, all the things that go into it, and uh, I've got a little one. I've got a 21-month-old. So for us especially is that dinner time can be absolute carnage. So uh, that is the greatest life hack I've had in a long time. All that time to, I guess, put into property and other things that are far more important than preparing food. Yeah, very interesting. That's going to divide a room, I think. I think that is going to divide a room. Some people love cooking. I'm I'm on your side of the fence here because I, if I could cut off eating, I would. I just, I just <laughs> don't care for it. It gets in the yeah. way of things. So now you don't cook. That's half the challenge. So do you get any breakfast made and like pre-made and everything? No, so I I do a smoothie in the morning. So that's probably (laughs) the one thing we don't get delivered. But even then, I don't think about it. It's the same smoothie every day. And it's really that mind freedom thing. So you just get to like go through it. Everything's set for you. I didn't, I will say, I didn't realize how much time I was spending thinking about food and what I was going to have. And even after this, it was like, clearly I like some food, right? I like to eat. (laughs) It just has certainly uh, made my life easier and more convenient so that I can focus on higher priority things. Yeah, I love that kind of um, your your highest uh, highest and best value. And 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 for mine, um, 
I, I don't have to think too much about meal prep. It's it's uh, I, I do occasionally like we sort of rotate around in, in the household. One 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 day some one person decides uh, the week ahead, and, and and the other day I decide. So it's kind of and and most and some of the time it's probably ends up me doing it once a month because I, I get nagged to say, "Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet?" And I haven't done it. It just gets done for me. So I'm like, I'm not advocating to not do something because you might you might do, miss something really important. So. That's yeah. kind of how I, that's my, it's not my life hack. But, um, what is your life hack, Jeff? So mine, I was thinking about today and I, I think it's because I'm, I'm really missing travel and I just haven't really been able to do a whole lot of it recently. Um, might not have been, but my life hack is because, um, is, is actually before you get, because I, I know you, a lot of people are fans of business class and all that sort of stuff. My life hack is going up and asking if there's the opportunity to, to go to if there's space available in first class or if you're in coach, they call it coach, but if you're in kind of um, economy, if there's room available in business class. And just asking that question because you'll actually get bumped up more often than what you think. Like I've, I've, we, I've never had, I've seen people do it quite regularly and it's just amazing. And once you fly business or, or first class, I don't know if you ever go back. I mean, I, I have flown economy. <laughs> Since I've been in business, but um, yeah, that's that's my life hack. So ask the question and just go and say, "Hey, look, I know you probably you probably get this all the time. It's really annoying. So just kind of do the whole Chris Voss. Um, this is going to yeah. be like the worst thing. Do that and just say, oh, is there any space available in business? I'd love to join. Or any in first class? Yeah, you'll be surprised. A little, a little top tip on that is if you are going to ask, make sure that you're well dressed because they want well dressed oh, wow. people in first class and business class. Um, and a little plane trip on that um, what are you mine i've actually got a top tip uh life hack that i learned from a i don't know she must have been 90 year old woman um so everyone does it we're talking about making meal prep and and breakfast you go to the egg aisle and you want eggs obviously and you have to open up and check because they're always cracked there's always one two three cracked and i'm like oh shit cracked one cracked one cracked one and then this old woman walks up and then she grabs them tips them upside down like as a container, as a carton, looks on the bottom, down, looks on the bottom, down. So what the hell is she doing? And then I go over and I look underneath and it's seeped through, like the cracked egg has seeped through, so you know. So instead of opening them up individually, you just grab them, check underneath, and that's how you tell. If there's no seepage through, you've got a good, you've got a good egg on your hands. Wow. <laughs> that's it. I wonder how Top many point. eggs have been broken. In that process, though, Joey, because no, no, you, just lift it. you just lift it like you'd pick it up. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> one other thing. One, one other thing that I wanted to add is um, what we used to do when we first started this group ages and ages ago. Every single week, we would in, we'd say, "Hey, welcome to all the new starters. Um, you know, give us a bit of an introduction yourself. Say hello." But Facebook changed their thing, so we can't do that anymore. Um, so I just want to say welcome to all our brand new members. Like last week, we. We this in the past week we've got 250 new faces. So guys, jump in the comments, say hello, uh, post whatever you any questions that you've got. We've got a whole heap of resources in the property space. So you guys get any questions at all? Like this is why we have experts like Charlie on um, for you guys to come up with questions. So um, pop them in the comments, pop them in the the you know the thing if you're not available now. Um, it's welcome. Great to have you guys. It's really cool. Like 250 yeah. people. I've actually got a list of the names that I'm going to read out. So just, no, no. <laughs> Speaking of experts, Joe, we, we, we have, we have our first expert for the, for, for the expert advertising for the evening. So yes, let's run with our, let's run with our wonderful sponsors here. Um, and then, and I've got, I've got, I've got a serious intro for you, Charlie. 
taken mostly off your website. Okay. Fabulous. Here we go. Let's do it. Scott Agat, you would have seen him on the 7pm project campaigning against agent underquoting. Scott is an expert negotiator through and through. Every single day, he is negotiating with real estate agents to get the best price for his clients. To give you a bit of a background, Scott has been working in real estate since 1995 and as a real estate agent, built up three Bell franchises. He was the guy teaching the agent all the tips and tricks to get the most out of the buyers. However, Scott realized that there was actually no one on the side of the person buying the property and he saw them constantly letting emotion get in the way and paying way over for the property. And that's why he created Hello House, Australia's first property negotiation as a service business where he is on the side of the buyer. In hot markets like we have now, you need absolutely every single exit you can get. These agents are trained professionals and they are there to get the most money out of you, which is why you need to have an expert of your own in your own corner. The way it works, you find the property, then Scott will come in at the negotiation phase and take over for you. This is how you'll get the property for its true value. He'll ensure that you don't overpay. He comes in, knocks the real estate agent down on price, no more agent games, no more tricks, no more tactics, he is there for you. Scott has been kind enough to offer us an amazing discount on his service, and I've personally just seen a friend pay $20,000 more on a property because of these agent games. Reach out to him with the link below, it'll be the best property investment you will ever make. Well done, Joe. That, that, was, that was probably the most seamless uh, ad that we've done in a couple of weeks, so well, well done. Joe. Oh, and you bottled it at the end, mate. You've bottled it at the end. <laughs> You've got to stop sharing your screen. Oh, okay. Sorry, that is my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the man of the hour, Charlie. So I, I, I've uh, kind of, you and I have been chatting offline for probably, I don't know, it feels like years now. You feel like a long lost, almost, almost a long lost brother from a different state and we've a different last name perhaps. So you know, I, I feel, we feel like we're kindred souls, but to, to give you a bit of a bit of a pump up, so you you run, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to go all mix, mix it you and ask you the revenue for your business. But um, you run a, a cracking business with Vela Media, and uh, and and the thing that's, uh, I suppose, you start off your life as a plumber, and then you moved into a podcast media marketing that you're ultra passionate about. You bought nine, or you bought ten properties. You've owned ten properties, but you bought eight in the last fifteen months, I believe. And the thing that I think is most interesting about you is you, you are a, a passionate dad, a cyclist. And an amateur chef. So you said an amateur chef, but you now don't meal prep. So how, tell me about that. Like it says it on your website. So how, how did that Let's transition go? Well, uh, I didn't say I didn't love to cook, right? I never said that yes, at all. Okay. I'm just very aware of the time that goes into it. So uh, yeah. once upon a time, previous to kids especially, I did all the cooking in our home. And I just loved it. Like I really enjoyed it. So something within what I do today, like everything I do online and in media, you can't really touch it or feel it. Like it's all really just invisible things on the internet. So you don't get this satisfaction part of it. Although I am very proud of the work we do at Bella Media. So yeah. I kind of found that when I was coming home at the end of the day, it was a great way to transition from work mode into home mode and enjoyed the benefits of sitting down for a good meal. And I do enjoy food. So it was a nice thing to have from there. But that's what made uh, getting meals probably a harder transition for me, particularly as I had an attachment to it. But when I was sitting there and doing that maths of like how much time it was taking up versus what I was getting from it. And if I just spent that time focused on my son or my wife or my business, I get far better returns. And if I know anything for sure, it's that people in this group are 
very, very interested in getting better returns. So I think they will be yeah. thrilled to lean into that idea. Yeah, love it. And that's that's going to be a theme, I suppose, throughout this conversation. So I, I, I really love Joe's first question. I'm very curious as to what, um, I mean, I hope you're going to, can you ask that? Are you keen on that question, Joe? You know, the question you normally ask. Uh, my what? first question is always, uh, what book are you currently reading? Currently reading? So I'm, I'm yeah. rereading a book at the moment. I have a, a book Ooh. that uh, a friend asked me after I did a podcast interview about what book uh, I would recommend for him in a situation he was in. He was just looking, funnily enough, to get into property. So I uh, recommended a book that first got me hooked in, which was a book called Debt Millionaire by George Antone. So this book's by a guy in the US, but it's a very, very deep dive into understanding finance in a very different way. And I tell you what, every time I read that book, I'm like itchy to buy another property. I'm just like scratching. Like really? It's a, like it's a <laughs> wow. <laughs> what are some of the key takeaways from it? Like, yeah. uh, George does an excellent job in this book of helping people understand uh, inflation, debt, and then the returns on a geared portfolio versus an ungeared portfolio. So he really just emphasizes the power of debt. And what he highlights more, I suppose, most dominantly in that book is this how hard it is to win without using debt. And if I was going to say it's probably the, a really good lead on from Rich Dad Poor Dad, you can see that he was very influenced by that. But what I loved about it the most was just the examples he went into and the way he explains it. I think it's a great book for anyone. It's very easy to digest and you just won't see finance in the same way after it. Wow. That's, um, that's, that, that's a big rap. And, and, and I know you certainly wouldn't give it that rap without, uh, without sort of meaning it. So I'm, uh, mm. I haven't heard that one. I'm surprised I've not heard I've of never it. heard of that. Never heard of that. It's one of these little unknown ones, right? It's it's this little book that uh, I almost feel like it's a cult figure book. Like those who know about it know about it, but those who don't don't. First rule of this, so we just ruined the first rule of debt club. Debt club, I like it. That's that's an excellent excellent answer. So the other question, the question I love starting off with, and I think this is going to be an interesting one because it'll it'll sort of probably open a few people's minds is. What, what what was uh, what was your first property and and kind of give, unpack the story around that as well? Yeah, so I'll, I'll go through both here because I think they're they're interesting. Where I say both is my first uh, PPOR, and then I'll talk about my first investing one. So my uh, first principal place of residence is on the Mornington Peninsula in uh, Victoria, and um, I, I just laugh now because if you were to look at let's say the core logic stats or anything over the last ten years, it's done reasonably well. Like it's done very well, but the yeah, reason I bought it was because it had a nice garage, right? I was like, this joint's got a sick garage. Beautiful. I want this house. Wow. And I, I, I say that in the idea that uh, certainly starting out, I had no idea. Like I really didn't. Like it was very much, I could see the utilization of this space and I just wanted to be a garage. It seemed very useful to me. And I was a, a plumber at this point in my life. And I thought, yeah. Yeah, this is where the tools can go and put a pipe rack in over here. And it just seemed very useful to someone that had the lifestyle I did. So went in all on that one with no research, no no idea. I thought it was a fantastic way to do it. Um, however, so had that property, bought that when I was about 22, 23-ish with my uh, now wife and partner, Bianca. And then uh, going on quite a while now when we first fell pregnant with our son. So Jack's about 21 months now. Uh, right when we uh, went into that stage of life, I kind of had this moment of going, it's not just about me anymore. Like I really need to start thinking bigger than where I'm at and thinking more into that legacy phase. And that was the trigger for me. 
So that led me into going to my first, I suppose we'll call it investing part of the journey. Yeah, I, I like that. So how it so it's done it's done well over the past couple of so you're saying that the best better strategy is to just to go in go in blind. Based on garage alone, I would say. <laughs> yeah. It's an underutilized strategy in today's but everyone's concerned about all these other metrics. Garage utilization. That's what we're gonna be focused on. Yeah, I'm all I'm all for it. So um okay, cool. So what what was it? So that was it. It was just you're now going into the next phase of life. You're going to bring a little baby into this world and you've got to start thinking about the future and legacy. But um, you kind of went a little hardcore into legacy because usually people think about legacy in their 50s, 60s, um, not at the straight at the beginning. Um, but give us a bit of a rundown. What were those, what were those first investment properties? What did they what the first investment properties look like? Now I'm a terribly sorry, I'll just check my tech. I just saw one of the comments here. Is it can everyone hear me clearly? Just quickly before I answer that. Yeah, one. yeah, right. I I can hear you clearly. I'm just okay, oh, so Charlie's I'm voice is very low. Just do a quick check on the cam and mic. Just give me one second. I'll see. No, you sound legit on my end. Yeah. Is it if, if 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 anybody can't hear Charlie, say say yes. <laughs> yeah, let us know, guys. I've turned it up a little bit more. We'll see if that can make it a difference, but it should be plenty from there. Now, sorry, Joe, I'll get you to repeat that one. Um, yeah, so the first investment, right? Okay, so you've gone from no idea, you've read Debt Millionaire. Oh, a bit low. That's really weird. Um, and and now the first investment, what does that look like? Like you've done a little bit of research. Like how did you fall into an investment property? Yeah, so uh, that's a really good question in itself. I guess the way it kind of happened from there is I was in a mastermind group for business and there was a lovely guy in it, a guy called Matt Knight, who was a buyer's agent. And um, I formed a really good relationship with him and he started really, I suppose, just educating me a little bit subtly on just some of the advantages of property. So when I went down that route with him, it was really, really interesting that I suppose, just like many people, I started to get exposed to these ideas. Now, the first property I actually bought with Matt, I used a buyer's agent for that. And then what I actually did is he found a really, really good project in a, in a town called Port Kembla, not far from where Jeff is. And we actually yeah. did a subdivision project. So Matt found this really excellent project. This was quite a few years back now, maybe three years back. Really good timing for that region as well. But that's where we kind of scratched our itch and got that first one. Yeah, so this... Yeah, perfect timing. Like it's it's done incredibly well over the last couple of years. Um, but your first investment is a subdivision. It was that a joint venture as well, or like was it with Matt, or was it you? He, you know, you just engaged his services as a buyer's agent. So we just engaged his services as a buyer's agent, and then we yeah. handled the subdivision project itself. Now, perfect. full disclosure: the uh, dwellings were already on the property, but this was like an unfinished subdivision. So someone had actually built wow. the dwellings, but then hadn't finished the paperwork, or done the fencing, or done the work with some of the, uh, I suppose we'll call it like stormwater and things like that. So yeah, when it was you. quite an interesting one, it was a, a unique find at the time. I had some skills from my plumbing days. So what I was actually really interested in with that one was like being I had a bit of know-how and understanding of things, I thought it was a really good opportunity to kind of get into the market. Yeah, but I mean, throughout this chat, we're going to realize that you're not a man of half measures and um, you did your first deal as a subdivision, right? Like most people start as a buy and hold, just a little small one and then another one, then another one and then subdivision, then a subdivision, then development, then more, then units and blah, blah, blah. But you went, you're like, okay, I want to go from here to here. Um, well, what did you do? What does it look like? 
because like, that's I guess crazy. Risk, like, risk is relative, right? Risk's really interesting. So, so just for context, I sell invisible shit on the internet, right? So <laughs> it's like, you know, like I look at that and I, I think that's far riskier than um, <laughs> doing a subdivision. Like this one you can go and touch. So I was like, this is not risky at all. But I guess the really good answer to that is when, I guess if you're someone who's doing it yourself and learning as you go, then single buy and hold projects make sense. But if you're going to engage experts and those experts are telling you, this is a ripper, like this is the one to get. I'm like, why would you pay professionals and then get in their way? Like that just doesn't make sense to me as a strategy. And if you're going to uh, engage someone and pay them for a premium service, yes, you want to understand it. You don't want to be blind on these things. And you do want to make sure that they can explain what they're doing. But overall, you want to be uh, really leaning into where they think they can get you the best result. And I trusted Matt and I still trust Matt to this day. He's a great guy. So that was one of the reasons why I absolutely pulled the trigger on that. That's awesome. Were some of the other things that he was recommending to you like um, normal buy and holds or or did he just have his finger on the pulse and he said, look, there's an awesome deal here. I can get you, we can get it in and it's going, it's going to do well. And it, I imagine, well, how has it, how has it done over the past couple of years? No, well, I think yeah. Jeff would uh, back me up on this one, uh, but it's Paul Kembler's gone all right. But we actually hold both of them to this day. The idea was always to do the project and hold it. And then the ideation was that that if we executed this well and the market did well, property was yielding about 6%, so it was kind of paying its own debt anyway, that we would mm -hmm. be able to springboard that in and potentially use some equity to forward into the next project if we chose. Yeah. So there's a couple of directions I kind of want to go with. Um, and then there was one question I was going to hold back to later, but I'll ask it sort of now. But the first um, the, the first one I wanted to ask is, um, is, is you, you sort of um, – I think you've unpacked her in the legacy, but did you, what, what, what are you, how, how are you sort of planning? Did you kind of say when you thought that first, you're like, you're going to buy a whole bunch in a row? What is sort of, did it happen along the way? What was your kind of, what was your thinking around building it or building the portfolio? Okay. So uh, I'll be very transparent on this. Uh, the internet moves in dog years, right? It's really fast. So for every one normal human year, the internet does seven. So if you're in anything online, it moves very, very fast. Now, yeah, something yeah. I've seen over this time uh, since I've been online is like business models can literally be great for a short period of time and then they vanish. Like they exist and then they don't. And I'm yep. sure as the internet continues to evolve, we're going to see a whole bunch of things that change. So part of the ideology I had in this is like, I've got a fantastic media company right now and I'm thrilled with how it's doing, but will we still exist in 10 years or will artificial intelligence take over what we do? And I know there's people out there right now working on the business to replace us. Like it, yeah. it's a real thing. So I looked at that and have gone with the approach that if we're going to do this, let's do it properly. Like let's make the most of this opportunity. And yeah. one, I've never heard of a single person that bought one house and like, sweet, I'm done. Like I, I've nailed this, like I'm, I, I've made it. Yeah. So every <laughs> investor I looked at was building, you know, 10 plus portfolios or they were diversifying assets. And I said, well, that's got to be the way we go about it from here. So intention from day one was to go hard. And it was always to be able to achieve a level where if I stopped work completely or unfortunately uh, I was unwell or couldn't work, that my family would be looked after, that Bianca and Jack yeah. would never have to have that concern about money. Yeah, I, th I think that's uh, and, and just to quickly unpack. I mean, my mindset when I first bought my when I bought my first property in 2015 was I kind of I did it I did I was dipping my toe in, I felt and and I think your mindset was very much I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it bloody really fantastically. So it's kind of a it's a chalk and cheese kind of mindset. So there's a lot of people out there that 
we'll, we'll be sort of starting off. And I get it, it's scary. You're like, oh, shit, I could really stuff this up. And if I do, what, what are the consequences? But, but it's kind of, you don't have to necessarily do exactly what Charlie's done, but just kind of go in with a, clearly with a mindset that you're going to do it. And, you, and, you, and whereas I, I was kind of like dabbling a little bit in property, it was kind of cool to own that thing. So um, it's kind of just a bit of insight. The, the next question I ask is, Matt, so Matt, you're, pro, you're professionals. What kind of questions or what kind of due diligence, uh, what are your top three tips for professionals that you want to ask them to make sure they know actually know what they're doing? <clears throat> yeah, so th this is probably something I take from business. Um, something I, I've always found this really fascinating, right? When, when we go and recruit for a key role or a manager role in the business, I always notice where things go terribly is when you hire good people and then just get in their way or stop them from doing what you've hired them to do. So like I hire people that have skills in areas that are far greater than mine. It's like, why would I micromanage them? Like that makes no sense to me. And I'm yeah. sure there's people that have either worked in jobs or seen this in other organizations where it's like, it's just not the way to do things. So for myself, I looked at this as a bit of an equation and go, look, I know what I can earn in business. I know what I can make per hour and I know the best utilization of me in this role. Like my job here really is to go and get deposits. That's my job. Go make sure I can actually fund this property portfolio. Me doing suburb research, being a location expert, bidding and negotiating on a property, I'm not denying a really important bits. It's just not the best utilization of my time. So when I went and um, started working with Matt and then I went on to work with Dashdot, which Goose and Gabby, I think both of you would probably know, um, the key things I really looked at with there is like, could we get aligned on that strategy and do I trust them? And uh, that certainly can take a little bit of time. Like there was some things where we had some meetings, we got behind the strategies. I made sure I understand what they were trying to achieve and how to be a good client for them because I think yeah. that's really key as well. And then on the other side of things is I made sure they understood the brief for me really well. Like I'm trying to get to here. Can you uh, formulate and articulate a plan and strategy so we can do so? And uh, they were excellent at that. Really, really excellent about that. Yeah. You go, what Joe. were some of the things that's actually so what were some of the key things that you noticed with those guys that was a little bit uh like what were the the good things that you realized that okay these are the right guys for me i know that goose and gabby are going to be the people that help me buy the next 10 15 20 properties yeah i'll, I'll never forget this right i um i remember sitting down with goose and um who is glenn from Dashdot. and he showed me what went into actually finding a location they would buy a property in and like, I, I won't disclose his secret source or anything like that. That's for him. But I remember sitting there and like all that was running through my head is I'm never going to go to this effort ever. <laughs> like just pay him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, un and I think that at times, like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's good and bad and everything. Just like there's good chefs, bad chefs, good agents, bad agents, good buyers, bad buyers, like all the rest. But when I looked at to the uh, noticeable effort Goose was going to to come up with a property, really had a methodical approach, wasn't winging it. Like these were all the things that gave me a lot of confidence. And then I looked at it and this was, again, probably one of the key things that uh, I really liked about using a buyer's agent was that it was going to be something where I wasn't going to be spending the time doing that. Like there was someone going to all this effort to make a better decision and it wasn't their first rodeo. Like if I was buying a property, it's me literally working out how to do all this research and then buy one where this is something they do routinely. So it wasn't, you know, a new skill for them. It was a repeated skill. Yeah. 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 
I, th I think, um, I mean, Joe, Joe and I have sort of used, um, we have used BAs and we've sort of bought properties ourselves. So I think that the key, that, again, I'm sort of, not again, but I'm, I'm taking things from your kind of journey and, and mirroring it to my journey. I think that you were, you were ultra clear what you wanted to achieve, whereas when I use a buyer's agent, I won't mention their names because I don't think it really matters. I think it was more about me um, and, and the way that I approached it. I was very much kind of putting, uh, I, I, I very much did, I wasn't, articulate this of what I actually wanted. Whereas now if I went to a BA, I would be like, okay, show me exactly how you're going to do this. And if you can't, if they can't demonstrate how they're going to do it, I'm moving on to the next one. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable or I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Whereas you, I suppose, having the business know how you kind of know how to kind of, it's a bullshit meter for me, I suppose. If somebody can't articulate and can't explain it to you how they're going to get to where you want to get, then I think that that's, um, that's a, a massive red flag for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I will throw in another thing. I probably had one more hidden advantage is like, I will disclose as a media company, we look after quite a few of the property podcasts in Australia. So I'm sitting there and binging on this content as we go along in, in a part of what we do. So I certainly had different voices in my ears along the way and getting education was a huge component of that as well. Yeah, there you go. 100%. That's what that's what people are here for tonight, right? That's why you've got to get you've got to get up to like the way I like to think about it is, um, you know, you, this is your adventure, this is your journey. You are in the driver's seat. Your buyer's agent is in the seat next to you. As soon as a buyer's agent wants to take the keys and drive off with your vehicle, you've got to you've got to wind it back. You've got to be the one in control. You don't have to go out there and source the properties, but you do have to have the foundational knowledge and listen to all the podcasts, listen to Goose and Gabby. Those guys are um, good at operators, although they do not pay us for sponsorship. So um, we're going to keep it keep it down a little bit. But they <laughs> are, they are down, but they're good people. Yeah, <laughs> they are they are some really good operators um, in in the business, um, but. If you go out there and speak to a buyer's agent that says, no, no, this is the strategy for you. I'm going to do this, 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 and it's just cookie cutter. That's not a buyer's agent that you're going to want to be a part of. It wants to be a tailored approach to your circumstances. Um, so what were some of the the key lessons that you learned from the the next couple of properties? So actually, let's before we go into lessons... What were the next ones? So we've got we've got a PPOR under under our belt. We've got a subdivision project that has done exceptionally well. What happened next? So as I suppose this uh, first investment property was kind of finding its ways is when COVID hit. Um, mm -hmm. So this is when the world started to really get changed. And I, I won't lie, I was literally at the point of like, maybe this is all over. This is probably the worst idea ever. We've just gotten into property. World's going to end. I knew it. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, so th this is one where I'm I'm very grateful today, and I, I probably look back and say a little bit ignorant, actually a lot ignorant. But I, I looked to it and I said this is probably going to be probably I said probably one of the biggest opportunities in a generation where there's literally blood on the streets as to the Warren Buffett quote, and we can either put our you know put the foot down and go for it, and it could be an absolute disaster, or we can try and play this in a very risk adverse way. And I'm, I'm very grateful today we decided to go hard. So as the pandemic kind of started and opened up, we went on a buying spree. So we went from that and then went on to purchase another, I would say six across the pandemic because of what people were doing and just the deals that were available. I always had a pretty long-term view that if things went sideways, my business was in a strong enough position where we'd be able to support it even if rents went down. So I took a very long-term view and then I was very fortunate again, and I'm not ignorant to this, that my business exploded in COVID because a lot of providers that were doing in-person things 
went into podcasts and media services, which we were providing. <laughs> so uh, on a personal level, I actually had my income going up in that time through the business. I did have a shaky period, as I think many people did, of going, oh, what's going to happen next? But mm. I looked at this and said, well, I I'm willing to take that punt. And we went on to purchase many more from there. So we purchased yeah. uh, one up in uh, north coast of New South Wales, quite a few in Queensland, um, yeah. and some here and there as well. <laughs> like, I can, it depends how much well. time you guys have got. Like, <laughs> I can go deeper or I can go high level. It just depends uh, how you'd like I, to go. I, I, have, I, have, I have all night. I have nowhere to be. I'm right, I'm, I'm right at home here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so what um, – so what are some of the key lessons that you learned al along the journey? Like you would have bought them in rapid succession. Um, what are some of the things to avoid and what are some of the things that you should be focusing on as a, as a property investor that's looking to replicate what you've done? Yeah, so uh, one of the biggest things I would really get people to look into from here is the deeper you go into the property journey, the more you need to be finance savvy. It becomes less about the asset and more about the finance. Like there's yeah. the, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, what is it? Property investing is a, a game of finance with a few houses thrown in. Is that uh, quote yeah. and stat that's flown around? And I used to think that was a joke, right? I'm like, no, get off your horse. Like the property, like that's the thing that matters. But in, in all honesty, the broker you have and your relationship with access to capital, especially in difficult times, makes all the difference. And I know many people will say, you know, a broker is a, bro a broker, but I will have to give props. There is some seriously clever brokers out there and I'm very grateful for the one we had. Without uh, Aaron, who uh, was a big part of our journey, he wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did. So his ability to forward think again and just understand the complications of buying certain properties or accessing equity or getting levels of debt in certain points made a huge difference in being able to get to the next one. So we had to play a very strategic game when you go fast of just like access to capital. So the finance strategy plays a massive difference. The second thing that come up for us within that is also uh, ownership structure. So the first ones we put in our own name, uh, I would say probably a little bit naively. But then mm -hmm. after that, having to go down the rabbit hole of trusts and getting that type of stuff set up, having a good accountant played a massive role again in making sure that we had our financials set in a way and looking in a certain way so that we could get more borrowing. I think many business owners like will often, you know, like buy a car for the tax savings or things like that, not realizing that they're doing damage to their borrowing capacity um, yeah. or they'll intentionally pay themselves a lower wage and do things like that where we were very strategic in making sure our earnings look the way they need to. Uh, legitimately, of course, we were making the funds. I don't dare say yeah. we're doing something dodgy, but all of these things played a massive role in being able to jump for the next one to the next one. Mm. Um, so... I, I, look, there's so many, but they're probably some of the main ones that I look at and say that you have to be very dil diligent of. I say you got to have a lot of time as well, like settling multiple properties in the same month. Like, oh, if there's one thing I could change, it would just be that we didn't settle any in the same month because like we had times we were getting confused. You get a pest in building for one and then there's another one over here and there's like a report and something about a sewer and you've got to get a fix up and it was – it was very, very busy time. So I would say in hindsight, slowing down probably would have been good, but we wouldn't have what we would today if we didn't have a go. No, I think, I, I, I think, I think personally, and, and a mentor of ours, Joe, um, Steve Ignite has, has said, um, I mean, one, one of the, I mean, he was kind of, he was, his eyes were lighting up when, when I mean, it just sounds like a funny thing to say, when, when COVID kind of, when, when the lockdowns and were all happening because he kind of said, hey, look, this is going to, this is going to be like this next couple of months is a, is a fantastic opportunity because everybody's, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. 
it's kind of like when 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 you sort of when everybody's doing the op, doing one thing, you got to look, look the other way and kind of or, or yeah, when everybody's going one direction, yeah, you know you know the quote something like that. So yeah, he was he was sort of saying so and 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 the the, the wealth a lot of wealth is made in, in downturns or, or it wasn't a quick wasn't a long downturn, but it was um it was one that sort of uh, the window was, of opportunity, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, some people were sort of saying that yeah, there's going to be all these uh, squat. Uh, all these uh, foreclosures and um, sort of yeah, pit prices are going to. I mean, banks were predicting twenty to thirty percent drops, and I never, I never truly believed that. I thought it was funny that the the main asset of they were predicting the main some of the main their main interest they were predicting was going to go down. I was like, well, why why are they predicting this? It doesn't kind of doesn't make sense. But um, yeah, anyway. So yeah, so Joe, what's um. What, uh, should we go into the? Because I want to, I want to learn. We, are, we, are we done talking about property, or do you want to kind of get on to more of the business? Because I think that that's there's some lessons ne- for business as well. Never done with property, but one of the things I just want to cycle back with a little bit. You were like, you need to be really uh, on with your with your broker. Um, kind of, are your broker and your buyer's agent together? How do they mesh within the mix? Are they yeah. two separate pillars and entities that don't communicate, or are they in the same room chatting away? Um, talking strategy and same with your account like how does this team what does this team look like yeah that that's a great question i think one of the challenges i have in answering this is comparison points like i'm not sure what your broker does or your accountant does or um, your agent does or anything like that but i i can assure you i'm ensure mine are attached at the hip one can't move with the other one not having awareness to it because it impacts all of them now, uh, I realize for those that are employed, and I'm not against people having a job at all, but I realize you don't probably have a relationship with your accountant like I do. Like my accountant's imperative to my organization because we've got so many things going on and we need information and got a tax plan and a whole bunch of stuff. So for my uh, accountant to not know that my broker's after borrowing money or needs finances or needs things done at end of financial year or whatever it is, like they need to be very, very connected. And then on the other side of it is is uh, I, it's certainly in the last 18 months with how fast an offer can get accepted before a broker needs to be put into action. I need my broker to know if my buyer's agent's putting in offers or trying to go or what we're actually trying to get to. It would. Yeah. I was very unfortunate that the first property we bought, we bought and blindsided our broker. We're just like, yeah, we'll get it. Put in an offer, got it accepted. And then I'm on the phone to him like, yeah, look, we bought this property. And he's like... Oh. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we a, knew we a, could a, get a, it, but we caused carnage. As an ex-broker, that, that's uh, that's that's the kind of nightmare scenario. If somebody's calling me up and they're like, I need this done. I need it done right now. I need it done. I need it done. I'm like, crap, why don't you just talk to me? Like, it's, it's all that. I just even send me a text saying you're going to go and look at properties and we can kind of, yeah. So I 100% <laughs> agree. And even it's even a lesson I would sort of learn from my own journey as well. And at the moment, is getting those ducks in, in a row and probably – what I mean, I would say broker first and broker and accountant um, before you go to, to your buyer's agent or before you go shopping, whatever, whichever way you decide to go. Um, but yeah, that's how did you kind of then set so your second and third and your, your eighth and your ninth purchase? You kind of had the broker more along for the journey, I imagine. The, the finance component becomes harder. That's something mm-hmm. I will say the deeper you get into this. I mean, I do find it interesting that there's almost these waves. So my first couple of years in business, like the banks don't even want to look at you if you're a business owner. Yeah. Like yeah. They, um, yeah, they almost spit on you if you mention borrowing money. Like I, I just laugh. I can't even get a credit card with some of the major banks even to this day because of like being able to liquidate 
the assets my business has because they don't understand online. So it's like, you know, they don't value my email list or the websites we have because they don't see those as things they can move through. So we're looked at very differently um, if you do work online in general. But then after that period when uh, business has come good, it's like all of a sudden they love you. Like there's this yeah. we really weird honeymoon period. It's like you're making this and you don't have a million dollars in debt. Well, hello there. Come, come in. A special, you know, we've got these <laughs> private bankers that, you know, like I, the things that are suddenly available to you is ridiculous. That's and uh funny. Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing, and then you go through this stage again where you start to go towards your borrowing capacity, and then all of a sudden they start to not like you again, and then equity goes up in these properties. They get a refinance, and it's like, no, we love you. So yeah. I feel like the banks themselves, and this is the big four particularly, there's a very very interesting relationship you form with them, but you really need someone in that broker capacity who understands how to play that the deeper you go, and if you do head down the route of buying properties in trusts. There's even more complications that come through what you can and can't do, what you need to disclose, and just just little things like you can't actually uh, do negative gearing within a trust. Like it doesn't yeah. work in the same way. And you can't get offset accounts in trust lending in a lot of cases. And if you are going to do interest-only loans, they're very, very different for your borrowing capacity versus P&I loans. So if you're playing a certain type of game, you want to stack the loans in a certain way so that you don't get uh, held up or put into a point where you can't borrow again. So all those types of things start to play the real challenge at that level. And they're, they're two very different worlds that you're talking about, like borrowing capacity and interest only. And then that leads into your accounting question. So if they aren't so directly aligned, it's going to be very, very hard for you to articulate one thing from your broker to your accountant. No, no, we're not doing trust with negative gearing because we need to do it. Oh, okay, let me go back to the broker. But having them connected is definitely going to be a worthwhile investment for sure. Yeah, just a few things I didn't know at the time that I get to fall through later was uh, number one is that if you have interest-only loans, your borrowing capacity is actually lower because if you have yeah. P&I loans. I, I wasn't aware of that. So all my loans are on principal and interest to maximize capacity. And then the other side of that is that you actually get a better rate. Now, I know it's only marginal, but when you start to play in a big portfolio, it's like, you know, 1% on a million dollars of debt suddenly is an amount yeah, worth yeah. saving. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, um, and when you've got a couple of million or you move into that like 3 million plus range, you look at a 1% swing in uh, interest rates and you look how at it as substantial. How does your accountant feel about that though? From an, because obviously an accountant's like, oh, you know, if you do, if you do principal interest, then you're, um, you're reducing your tax or you're not reducing your tax, you're um, decreasing your um, tax, tax deductible debt. How do they, or, or I suppose the accountant says, well, hey, it's, it's the cost of doing business. Yeah, so this is a, a really interesting thing. Like we're always weighing out these different decisions. So a lot of people can't do principal and interest loans because the cash flow will kill them. Like, and I totally yeah. get that. If you're on a lower income and you need to do interest only, you kind of have to accept that. Yeah. Uh, in my case, I'm not in a position where uh, my business funds my lifestyle and I don't need to worry about taking anything out of these properties. We're also yeah. very specific with the properties we buy. We don't buy anything with such a low yield without a plan to it. They're, it's going to mm. need substantial amount of cash. I mentioned earlier that you know one of the key things that I do as my role is fund deposits. Like, that's my job. Now, if we're looking at a property where a bigger deposit would stop it from being something that sucks our cash, we can do that. So we really look that, to the idea that the business is the strength of our ability to manage a portfolio well. 
I mean, I'll, I won't make judgment on anyone's circumstance. I get we all come from a different place in life and start in different points. But if I would uh, just see like something that seemed glaringly obvious to me is that if you have a low income and you're trying to do a large portfolio, is it just presents so many challenges. Like if you yeah. don't have available liquidity, like the ability to make a big mess in property is, is high and you see people take astronomically high risks that I just don't think are appropriate. So one of the things that you've you kind of talked about just in this just past couple of minutes is positive cash flow and negative negative cash flow. But you're saying that you've got but like how do you weigh up positive cash flow and um, growth, right? Like you've got a six, eight percent yield, but you're still getting growth. Like how have you been able to balance those so finely? I I will have to say luck by this. I will not say um Goose. It's really interesting that, yeah, Goose is definitely a factor. And, and same with Matt, where uh, they were both uh, basically presented some very good data that said to me that it's a complete fallacy that you can't get both. Like, it's actually like uh, people who believe in blue chip want you to believe that regional is the end of days. And people that are into yield want you to believe that blue chip is the end of days. And it's like, it's not really true. And you can find things within it. And I mean, even CoreLogic, I saw the uh, July stats, I think it was, or the June. Yeah. And it's like the, the regions are growing really well. I mean, I yeah. look to that. I won't speak to being a property data expert or anything like that. But I look at this and just think that the idea to me of that you can purchase a property where the tenant supports the entirety of that property only enables you to move faster because now your cash can be for building deposits or your cash could be for taking out stamp duty or avoiding LMI, or I think you it offers different ideas. I also think that um, something I see commonly done, which just shits me, is people will make a comparison towards like, you know, a blue chip property in a central Melbourne location versus a regional, not recognizing that you can grow regional properties so much quicker, you could probably buy three in that time, and your borrowing would allow you to get so much more because the cash flow is better where you may have got held up at just one property in a central Melbourne location. And I realize, you know, different people's circumstances would have that be done differently, but I don't think that's a fair argument. Like, you know, 5% growth on a $10 million portfolio will beat 10% growth on a $1 million portfolio because you got stuck on one property with negative gearing. And I think that fallacy doesn't really hold up in the bigger size. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good lesson to, um, to learn, rewind back, go go re-listen to that again because that's such a good point. Um, people get caught up with, oh well, yeah, but Sydney's done so well. You know, we've got we've got you know twenty five percent growth, but it's like, well, you're stuck there, right? You haven't got that opportunity now to go any further. Um, so, what are I, I guess what does it come down to when it allows you, when you're allowed to be able to buy um, nine properties in under yeah two in two years or almost just under three years like um, is this possible for I guess it's tough to speak for other situations that you're not in but um, how can the everyday person try and get to nine properties more money yeah, that's a great question. Oh, um, okay. So let, let's stack this one from here. When, when I was uh, 23, 24 and I bought my house and I started a business, I completely recognized I didn't have the time to learn how to invest. Like yeah. I was like, get good at business. Like that's all you need to worry about here. So every yeah. time I made money, do you know what I did? I just paid my mortgage off because I was like, I don't <laughs> know what to do with this. Like I'll just pay down the house. Right. And eventually, like, I'm like, oh, you know, like, if you've got a paid off house in, like, you know, your 30s or 40s, like, this will be fine. You set? 
you said you said like i'll work the rest out later so that was my mindset i'm not saying good or bad or right or wrong it's just like i wanted to develop skills in business because my belief was that if you have a higher income that it's pretty much easier to win at every form of investing like if you want to be really good at share investing just make a lot of money if you want to be good at property investing just make a lot of money like yeah. it's so much easier to get a reasonable return relatively if you have a higher amount to put in and everyone can look at that. Someone who starts with a couple of million dollars is obviously going to do better than someone who starts with a couple of thousand dollars. Like it's just how it works. So when I uh, got to the point where I was looking at investing in property for years, I'd been smashing down my mortgage and my principal place of residence had been going up in value. So how we did well and were able to do this quickly was that I had equity, a lot of equity, and then also a business in a very strong position after years of consistency and good growth. So when that time, you know, I, I suppose these worlds collided and my borrowing capacity was in a really good place. You mix that with a really solid team who understood where we wanted to go and how to go about it. And then I guess just the uh, willingness to go. Uh, it was easy to stop at any point. Like we could have easily slowed down and like we had our doubts and fears, but I just kind of, uh, I was very determined to get to this level and still am determined to grow further. But I always went with the idea that, you know, well, what's the worst that can happen? I kind of believe I'm still young enough that if I lose it all, I could probably get it back. Not ideal, yeah. <laughs> but I would still rather have that belief. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. That's a, that's, that's well, a well, good serving uh, belief. Rob Flux, case in point, I mean, lost it all at, uh, at 34, when I say lost most at, at 37, 38, and then sort of said, well, hey, I've got to get on the bike and start going. And and, and wouldn't you know, he did it in half the time. And, and I would sort of say, um, if knowing what I know now, I, I, I could probably do it. Um, I mean, I haven't necessarily achieved my goals yet, but um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. You can you can kind of um, yeah, there's so many lessons in there you can take. And who who was how did you actually did you have a mentor that that kind of taught you that, or how did you learn that business was the way? Like, how did you get that mindset? Yeah, so um, th this is a, a really funny story uh, even back then. So when, when I was a younger uh, kid, I was looking at uh, basically my dad was a builder and I was looking around in our life at the people that were successful and all of them had businesses. Like this yeah. was the thing. It's like, you know, you had a business, you were killing it, you had a job, you, you weren't. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that's true. It was just my influence and what I saw. And then yeah. I, I started uh, doing it. I did an apprenticeship, like I actually did a plumbing apprenticeship and I realized very quickly there was a huge division between those who worked as plumbers and those who had plumbing businesses once again. Mm -hmm. So this uh, reinforced story kept coming through for me. And then yeah. eventually we all hit a point where we just go, well, I'm looking at this at the Forbes, you know, rich list, you know, they've all got businesses. <laughs> and I'm like, there might be something to this. And oh, then I, I realized I'm also a terrible employee, like terrible like I very accountable to myself, but want to carve out life my own way. And then ultimately I came to the decision that, you know, I want to be in control of my life. Like I want to ride and die by my own will. Like if I have a smashing success, I want it to be my fault. And if I fail miserably, I want it to be my fault. I hated the idea of my fate being in someone else's hands. And if you want to control your time, your finance, the works, like you've got to have a business. That's how it's done. So I went into that world and decided that was for me. Yeah. Yeah, mic, mic drop, interview, interview done. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that's, that's all you really need to know. That's that's a secret. Um, yeah, Joe, I, I, I know Joe's probably got about 15 questions he wants to ask off the back of that. So go ahead, Joe. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Um, so what is the end goal for you, right? Like um, it sounds like you're going like – because 
if we look at it right on paper, um, you started property investing like three years ago. So, um, like, have you always have you always been? It sounds like you have always been this driven. But are you going to get to a stopping point? Um, have you got like a? Is it a set number? Is it financial freedom? Is it is it uh, you know the Bahamas? Like, what's the end goal? And um, yeah, what's the yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I think Joe's freezed up a little bit, but what what's the end goal? Uh, but that's back. all good. He's back. He's with us. Um, such a good question. Like, I'll I'll be completely transparent. I don't think there'll ever be a time in my life I don't have a business. Like, I yeah. love it. Like, this sport is for me. If you ever want something that is truly challenging and then offers the rewards, it is the ultimate. Like, yeah. I think it's open to anyone. We don't discriminate. Anyone can start a business. Um, it's incredibly hard. It will cost you everything. Um, but the rewards are there to match. And I think it's a fantastic environment for people to develop themselves personally and then also create something and bring meaning to this world. Like everything that exists today is because of business. Like businesses produce everything around us, the ideas we do, and I, I just love that as a way to spend my life. So I'll do that forever. As for like finance goals, really it's about setting something up that could support the family unconditionally. So generational wealth, and I don't know what it is, um, as soon as we fell pregnant with our son, something just switched on with me where it's like, okay, uh, you need to make sure you look after the people in your life. So I look at the prices of property and go, well, it is unlikely if things continue that Jack will ever be able to afford a house on his own rights. Who knows, things might change. I'm not saying that property affordability is my area of expertise. But if I have the opportunity to make moves today that would have his life be better off for that, I would like to be able to take them for him. So passing things down and looking after loved ones is a, is a big thing for me. Yeah. 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 Cool. So it's not some, you know, big selfish thing. It's just, look, we want to make the generational wealth. Keep it going. Keep it going. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of business owners, if you if you meet the ones, uh, especially in my circle, you can see it's not driven from a selfish place. Like you can see there's yeah. honestly a, a world of contribution, like especially someone we mentioned earlier, like Rob. Like I, I've uh, been very fortunate to spend a little bit of time with Rob and you just see the effort he puts into other people's success. And it's like, it's a fantastic thing. Like a, a capitalism doesn't have to be this dark art. It's not a mm. selfish game at all from the places I've played anyway. So what are some of the tips? Because I bet you see this day in and day out of people that are really, really suited to business, that they are business-minded, they're entrepreneurial, but they just haven't taken that next leap. Um, maybe I'm asking you to be a little mentor for people out there, but what are some of the tips and what are some of the things that people can do to you know, just nudge them off the edge there and take the step that we all know is going to be the best thing for them? I think Joe wants a counselling session. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean... That, that's the, um, the question that I think is a really interesting one in itself. I would say if you're in a job you absolutely despise right now and you have ambitions to start a small business sometime, go work in one. Like get paid to learn and develop things. I will disclose that's not what I did, but I wish I did it because I spent two years struggling my ass off. Like I really did where it was a very, very school of hard knocks. So I look at that right now and I say, if I could go back and work within an organization similar to the one I could create, it would be such an unfair advantage uh, towards achieving bigger goals there and what I could learn there would be well worth it. Not to mention the network I could develop and the things I could understand. So that would be my tip number one. My tip number two is that if you have any ambitions of business is that you need to get your living costs low. 
because if you have a high uh, living cost and you're trying to run a business, like if you think property is expensive, wait till you try growing a business. <laughs> Growth in a business is exceptionally expensive and the risks and re rewards that come with that can be great, but it's certainly a very, very expensive endeavor. So you have to put yourself in the chance where if you do have uh, funds or savings or whatever it is that you can utilize that to ensure your success. Because mm. uh, something I commonly see is people that start a business that just don't have the money to hire the staff they need or get the marketing they need or do the training they need to be successful. And then it just ends up this like almost like a zombie thing where they just always grow a little bit, but never properly where mm. I I'm of the view where you want to go into this and like do it properly, like take on the world. Have a crack. Who wants to start the second best business at anything? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know though. Like if I had the second best burger making business in the world after Macca's, I'd, I'd probably I'd, I'd probably be okay with that. I mean, burger, burger I, I wouldn't burger. sleep. I couldn't sleep. There's no <laughs> chance I could sleep. <laughs> you're not you're not a Burger King type of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. But the uh, on my point there though is Macca's isn't actually a burger making company. They're actually a real estate company. So we all know that anyway. You don't need me to tell you that, but um. Um, so talking on business, right, you, you've, you've mentioned business a lot. And I think you'd treat your property portfolios and your property, your properties and your portfolio as a business. Can you can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Obviously, your partner is a, um, a CPA, an accountant. Um, so that definitely that definitely helps um, with the books. But um, how do you kind of think of property as a business? Yeah, so uh, I often joke with my friends that I hit the entrepreneurial jackpot. Like if you ever, as a business owner, I should have given this as tip number one, Marion. <laughs> we can uh, cut it, we can move, we can move some things, right? <laughs> yeah, um, so I'll just, so I'm a plumber at this point in my life and, you know, I've met this girl and things have worked out very well. I didn't necessarily appreciate her skill set at that point either. I'm like, accountant, boring. Um, but when, when you when you start a business and this stuff becomes really important, it was so helpful and useful where like we were looking at like, you know, an invoice had come in. I'd be like, well, what do you do with this? <laughs> or the end of the month would come around and I'm like, what's this GST thing? What are we, what, what are we doing with that? <laughs> so I got um, a very fortunate opportunity where the person that I share a life with was also able to help me a lot. And I mean a lot. Now this, uh, again, is one of those things where you don't know what you don't know is that my understanding today is that most business owners aren't fantastic with their finances, nor do they understand them nor can they properly, properly read their financial reports. Um, and it's very, very common where I'm very strong in finances because of the partner I have. So I've been very, very lucky in that. So when it came time to go from just focusing on business to focusing on property, we just applied all the same principles because the same principles exist. So when you look at it, I mean, you know, rent is still income and, you know, properties are still assets and there's liabilities and their debts. So we decided that a way we would be able to do this well and for it to make sense to us is just to treat it like we own a hotel business or pretend it's a hotel. Like there's just rooms, people rent them, we collect income, we've got expenses, we do proper reporting and P&Ls so we can manage it, we really stay on top of where our debt is and understand it and we run it like a business. And that for us has made a huge difference to just the mentality and thinking where I think a lot of people, and I'm not saying right or wrong, but it's just helped us because of our experience and where we've come from is going, well, we'll treat it like this. And um, I think that's a truly great way to think about it from understanding it. And I think uh, also very, very helpful towards like, how do you grow it? Yeah. Do you, um, I, I was just thinking out loud there a little bit, um, or I am thinking out loud. 
do, do you out with your property managers? Do you get them to manage all the bills, or is that sort of something that's um, that you manage yourselves? Because it's kind of something I've been toying up myself outsourcing that. Uh, we outsource as much as possible. Like okay. we definitely do. Um, I, I when you look at the value of property in the short term, it's like not the greatest thing in the world, but over the long term, it is. Like it's a very yeah. very long term gain. Um, yep. We very much value our time, as you can see from the start of this conversation and outsourcing meals. When it comes to the properties themselves, like we have managers and all the rest. My wife, Bianca, though, does a phenomenal job at keeping everyone to account. So as for checking, did things get done, getting photos of proof, making sure rents are hitting bank mm -hmm. accounts, creating reporting, like that's her world. So I'm very lucky that I get a report given to me every month just to say, hey, things are good here. This is where everything's at. And um, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Now, um, would you now you probably you mean, the, the answer to this, you might get in trouble. But would you be able to achieve what you achieved? Um, like, do we need do we need that? Like, what's the bare minimum reporting wise and information wise that we should be getting from our properties? That's probably a better question. I don't want to throw you under the bus with saying was it you know <laughs> was it did you need to have your wife? Uh, did you need to have your partner? But um, what's the bare minimum information that you needed to that you need as a property investor that you would say, okay, if I don't know these one, two, three, whatever it is, I'm going to really struggle to understand where I'm at with this. Yeah, so I, I can't speak for what other people do, so I wouldn't know what normal is. Like I only have my That's own awesome. property yeah, and the true. things around it, so it's hard for me to give a comparison to what others do. But if yeah. it's uh, what I would say from here, though, in my general uh, understanding of this industry is people probably don't look at this stuff closely enough. So I would say that there's a good chance that if people just ran simple business reports like a P&L report, a cash flow report, and a balance sheet, and they learned how to read those reports well, they would be vested and far better off in making the decisions. I would commonly see other property investors I talk about just very, very focused on things like debt levels and then uh, income, but then not really focused on anything around the other financial side of it and like net result. Yeah, that's interesting. Like I'm looking through the, I'm looking through the uh, comments even now and the, the, the only question is what is the LVR? What is the LVR? What is the LVR? Which sixty-four point nine percent. Is it? <laughs> there you go. I I know this though. Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's one of one of the metrics, but is it is it the main metric that matters? Is is a question I'd want to ask. I mean, well, this, I, I don't. I, yeah. my, my my kind of question is 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 it? Uh, well, not my question. My question I feel that, and I'm actually kind of learning through this conversation, and I think that I need to get better with the way that I look at my kind of property portfolio because so I don't necessarily look at it from a P&L kind of balance sheet which is really funny because I, I work in businesses and, I, and I've and i um, studied business so why the heck aren't I doing it so it's kind of interesting so I, I think for people at home watching if you get one or two things it's kind of pay attention to the things that actually matter and, and just I'm not saying ignore the rest but just kind of um, LVR is yeah it's, it's one thing but is that the main thing that should matter? I'll, I'll give you a little analogy here that I think people would understand that would help them do this is that the faster you want to go and the more risk you want to take on, the more reporting and data you need. Like it's it's not optional. It's a requirement. And the thing I would look at from here is that if, if you ride your bike down to the local shop, right, you know, you can just get on your bike and pedal. But if you want to drive a car, like you need a dashboard, you need to know how fast you're going. You need to know how much fuel's in the tank. Like you have to be able to see like, is the engine light on? I've got indicators. 
And and the reason is that because you're responsible for a, a vehicle that's moving faster and could kill someone. Like yeah. this is the thing. And then the to go up from there, if you look to like a fighter pilot, I don't know if you've ever seen inside a cockpit of a plane that's like intended for battle. Like these things are intense. And you go yeah. like, would they have all of that if it wasn't necessary? And of course it is. Like this is the thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone who's trying to build a substantial portfolio and you're trying to run it like you, you know, trodden around on a push bike, then the chances of you mm-hmm. doing well is unlikely. So the harder you want to go and the bigger you want to go, and this applies to business as well, like the better your reporting has to be and the better the dashboards and data you have because otherwise you can make some very grave mistakes. So I would highly encourage that if you have the ambition to do something because start now because you're going to suck at it like I did. Like I'm sitting there and I'm like, it's balance sheets, you know, it's just a bit of paper. Like it doesn't seem very useful. And like I liked the P&L, that one made the most sense to me. But the uh, cash flow report, I'm like, this thing's useless. And then I go on the bank account. I'm like, where the fuck's the cash? I'm like, ah, that's why this thing's important. I'm just kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm asking, I'm, I'm, if I'm sort of starting my property journey now, if I'm sitting in the audience, I'm like, okay, great. I want to learn this. How do I actually learn it? So I'm kind of like, I'm sort of thinking maybe we need to, if you're, if you're comfortable, we don't have to share exact numbers. But I'd love to actually, would people love to see Charlie run through an example of how it all looks and just throw in dummy numbers, of course, not right now. But would people love to see that? Because if, if you can if you can sort of uh, master the basics and then you can say, okay, great, now I've got that down pat, I can outsource it, I can go and make more money in the business. If people want to see that, throw in, I don't know, supercharge or some stupid comment in the, yes, let's, let's throw supercharge in the comment. Supercharge it. It has to be a supercharger. If it's not a supercharger, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. I was so, like, damn, Jeff, that is a really big ask to ask someone live on air. No, 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 not, but not now. I do yes. kind of want the answer to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going to stop you, Jeff. Keep going. No, no, no. no. I wouldn't expect charger. You there it is. There we go. I think that's not one person. Uh, but no, it, it would be super valuable to get a bit of a like a, 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 a one-on-one, how you use your cash flow analysis, how you use your balance sheet, how you use um, the, uh, the the balance, uh, whatever the other one was. I totally slipped my mind. Profit and loss balance sheet. Profit and loss. That's it. Exactly. Because there are ways to use it in business and then there are more beneficial ways to use them in, in property, I, I imagine. I think people want to see it. I, I don't know. I'm not looking at the comments because Joe said I can't do it because I get distracted. So, but we, we need, I'll, sh- we- I'll share some things here. I'll give you. I'll give you one little hint that I think that is uh, very, very helpful. So, in business, right, the thing I use my numbers for the most is actually to work out when to hire people. I know that sounds really odd, but whenever we hire a new employee, I know it's going to take three months before they're going to be profitable within the business. So, if we're not in a position where we can support that and we hire someone is it's going to be detrimental to our cash position. Or if we want to hire a lot of people, like it hurts us a lot. So why my books have to be at such a level for me is because I need to be on that and make sure things are in a way where we can be in a position to hire and progress and invest in the resources and tools to do our job well. Now, uh, much to the point, the purpose of the numbers and the reports is not to have them, but it's to be able to drive insight into the decisions I would want to make within my business. So much like when you're driving a car, right? The only point reason to know, am I doing 80 kilometers or 60 is because that's the speed limit on the road that you want to go, or it's trying to give you a sign that maybe you should put fuel in the car. So when we translate that into business, like I very much use my reports to one, know if we can buy another property or not, am I taking on risk or is this uh, in a safe zone for me? 
And like I have personal parameters. Like personally, I don't want a portfolio over 70% LVR. It would have to be a really ripper property to go over 70%. Um, yeah. So I, I stay towards that. And then the other side of things is I want to make sure that my uh, monthly net income after all expenses can support the principal payments and then also the tax. So if I buy another property and the yield doesn't support that, suddenly I've now got a liability. So there's got to be cash coming from somewhere else to drive into that. So I really want to make sure that when I'm creating these types of reports or using these types of things, it's very aligned to, is this helping me progress in the goals I have for my property business? Yeah. Yeah, that's valuable. I'm going to re-listen to that again um, rather than getting you to repeat it just so I can soak, soak it in. Um, so just on, I guess, more of the boring kind of stuff on, on this, do you have um, zero for this? Have you got myob? Like, um, because right now I get a spread, I get a PDF document sent from my property manager, and then I've got a, um, a guy, Rafi. Hey, Rafi, he's editing the video right right now as we speak, um, and um, he helps me upload all of my information in there. Does it, and then I get all my reporting, and then I look at it from there. So, do you have zero? Do you have someone in somewhere else helping you out with this? Like, how does it how does it work? Yeah, so we're, we're constantly experimenting. I won't say uh, for all things, and I, I love this comment, is I like I continually uh, reserve the right to change my opinion at any point based on new information. So whatever I've said, if I hear something better, I'm completely happy to say, yeah, I fucked up. I was wrong. This is better than yeah. that. Strong um, opinions held li- loosely. <laughs> strongly held beliefs loosely. Yeah, strongly held beliefs held loosely. Yeah, so currently, like, I'm a big fan of spreadsheets and so is my um, wife and partner. So we do a lot of that. But we are actually looking to experiment with zero now because we use zero a lot for our business. Um, yep. We're still working through some of those finer points from there. But I think, you know, anything's better than nothing yeah. would be the point from there. If you're starting out and you're newer to this, definitely spreadsheets are the best way to do it. But I would just say that one of the things that I've fallen constantly down the rabbit hole is, is I'll read a book or read an article and go, oh, look, they're tracking this. And then there's me fucking around for an hour trying to make my report show this thing that is completely useless and not aligned to my goals at all. Yeah. <laughs> but we have that tendency to tinker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Terrible with spreadsheets. I think yeah, I was on. Speaking of, speaking of spreadsheets, Joe, I think we've got to pay the bills, mate. We've got to, got to do sponsor number two before, <laughs> before we go for an entire show about. That's that, yeah. Joe forgets. Yeah, we're a fantastic sponsor, sponsor here. Um, Probably because of the risks involved, but it's also one of the few asset classes that can give you a very positive cash flow from day one. With commercial property, you get some massive net yields of six to ten percent. Now, that's not gross, that's net, which means it's cash in your pocket. This is what makes them so amazing. Your property can actually pay itself off within 10 years, grow in value, and without having you to chip in any cash at all. Now, with big rewards comes some big risk, which is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. The way you do this is with expert due diligence. This is why we highly recommend hiring professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. He is one of Australia's top commercial property buyers agent with his own multi-million dollar property portfolio of a mix of commercial and residential. Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers, 
finding the best properties in the best location, along with the ways to avoid the dud properties. Steve has even been the one to write the book of commercial property investing in Australia, and it's a bestseller. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount to our audience of 50% with the code OZPROP. Click the link below, get a copy today, and start your commercial property investing journey. Okay, Joe. Joe is uh, Joe is missing in action. Oh, he's back. <laughs> I'm here, guys. <laughs> I am here. I am here. Um, actually, I did actually, I know, um, you know, we just listened to Steve, but how does commercial property fit in within your portfolio? I'm hearing a whole lot of um, positive cash flow, positive gearing, capital growth, um, and you're at that kind of foundational stage now. Like, are you going to transition into commercial? Has it crossed your mind? Like, where do you sit on the commercial side of things? So I was about this far away from buying a uh, commercial property about six weeks ago, or not even, maybe four weeks ago. Wow. Um, and then we had some circumstances come up where we we'll, you know, out, uh, what was it, COVID outbreaks and lockdowns, and then uh, some personal things I won't go into where we had to put the brakes on and just kind of recalibrate. But um, yep. I will say that it is definitely uh, something I'm considering in a big way. I will say that what was really interesting to me is I, I come across someone called uh, Helen, and I'm going to butcher her last name, Tarrant, or Tarrant. Yep. Helen's an awesome person. I like her a lot. And she really, again, just gave me a bit of education and just to different property strategies. Now, I'm sure Steve, your sponsor is very good. He's very well regarded as well. I don't know him personally, but he does have a very good reputation. He's quite funny on your uh, streams, by the way. What a wicked sense of humor. I I reckon you'd you'd have a very good conversation. (laughs) I'd love to be a fly on the wall there because, yeah. It, it is very appealing, but I will just say there's been different things I've looked at where I've gone, some of that multi-tenant commercial stuff, very appealing to me where you've maybe got a strip of shops, you can get four different tenants in, you've got a good yield and just different use applications. I do like those types of commercial properties. I think they uh, just offer good risk reduction, personally. That's what I like. Um, yeah. On the other side of things, though, one of the things that just makes me very, very, I suppose, interested. So where I've done well in business is I've been able to spot things that are going to be in trend and take advantage of them. So I saw podcasts were going to get huge a few years ago. Like I was watching uh, big companies drop billions into podcast technology. And I'm like, they don't do this by accident. It's like, you know, they don't just accidentally build a freeway. Right? They know. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they definitely know. So I caught wind of that, got in front of it, and then we've done very well in business because of it. I look to the state of commercial right now, and I think there's uh, a lot of business models that are going to be disrupted over the next 12 months to 18 months. So I'm, yeah, and I won't speak to this on an expert level. I won't from there, but this is just my uh, personal opinion, is I look to the amount of businesses that are now using less office space, doing things from home, doing things differently. And I would think you would want to have a really strong plan and understanding of commercial to be sure you're in the right type of assets because I think it would be easy to make an incredible fuck up right now on this if you aren't aware of kind of where things are going to. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those asset classes where it's like, oh, I might just go, no, don't go your own. You, you're going to need a buyer's agent for for that. Um, but usually people have made it past that kind of first hurdle of the ego, right? That's always the first thing. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go buy a property and um, I'm going to do it all by myself and it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Um, but then they just like, oh, wow, this is really hard. Oh, research? Oh, I mean, I've got a full-time job. How am I meant to do this? And then it's like, oh, 
all of a sudden, um, house and land packages, off-the-plan apartments. Uh, okay, yeah, well, that sounds like a tax depreciation. That sounds like a great idea. And they just get given this thing, whereas it takes a lot of time, energy, and effort, like you said, like exactly what you said with Goose. It, it, he's, this is his life. This is all he does. Um, so he does it pretty does it pretty well. Um, but it's then making that next step of like, okay, I need a team of people to help lift me up. Otherwise, if I'm going my own, it's going to be, it's just not going to work. It doesn't, it's not a property, maybe it's, it's not a solo game. It's not a solo sport. It is a, no, it's a, a team sport. It's a team sport, sport definitely. Mm. Yeah. So, um, love the, 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 here you go, Jack. Well, I was going to say, I'd love to hear some. Um, I'd love to hear some audience questions. Like, um, pop you guys, pop it in the comments, guys, because it would be really cool to um, ask Charlie any questions that you've got around, you know, buying nine properties in t under two years. Um, and, fifteen months, uh, fifteen months, Joe. I mean, not, it's it's under one and a half years. Fifteen, 15 months, but it was like it's a year. It was, it was a bit of a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, that's, that's, I was waiting for you to, I mean, I, yeah, I, I suppose it's uh, not, yeah. But um, we do have some pre-submitted questions, uh, but, but I, I mean, there's, there's so many ways I wanted to, I'm so many questions, but we're getting getting to the 75 minutes. So what I'll do is uh, throw some questions down below and, and I want to, um, I, I can get up some questions that we've pre-submitted. So from, I think we've kind of answered this, but I'd, I'd love to hear you kind of really crystallize and, and hammer it home. So Leon asked, he said, strategy to retire the debt when and how, if, if that's if that's your plan. Do You, you said you're sort of, you're, you're uncomfortable having it above 70. So is your, is your plan to just sort of gradually pay it down? Like what, have you thought about this? Like what do you want to do with? Yeah, so um, as you guys can see, I know that um, I'm geared to about well, 64.9 at the moment is, is where I'm sitting for uh, LVR because I, yeah. apparently that's a really important question that matters above all else. I mean, it's part of it, but I just don't want people to get obsessed with that number. The yeah. reason why I'd like to keep a, a lower LVR is that if shit hits the man, I want to be the guy that is buying everyone's properties at ridiculously low rates. So that's a big part of it. So I think if you run a high LVR, you're kind of saying, look, I think I want things are going to go this way. And if they go sour, I'm just going to try and ride it out. Where yeah. if things do turn, I want to be in a position where I can make moves because that's where I think often the best moves come from. So that's a personal view and position. So I'm. Uh, that's why we do it in that way. As for debt retirement strategy, like all my loans are on P&I. When we get to a certain level of accumulation, I'll just let them pay down a little bit and I may sell down a property or something in the future so that it can retire from there. But I have no problem getting to retirement and still having some debt. We still invest in our super and may use our super to pay down some debt if that point comes. I don't plan to stop working either. So again, I'm not particularly concerned about the retirement, but it's certainly in there. We're not going to be maxing it out. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great answer and, and very kind of thought. It sounds like you have put a, a bit of thought behind that. So, um, I, I, I did want to acknowledge Abby uh, Abby's question, but uh, I feel we've spoken about it quite a lot. So about jumping from from first to second to, to third, um, yeah. and we've, we've got a, a, heck, a heap of questions come through. I mean, what, what, one. I'm keen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I want to know what Joe's chin. But. Uh, <laughs> That's what um, the one I'm interested in is actually because we have been talking about positivity a whole lot here. Um, what has been your worst purchase or your worst? Like, what are some of the mistakes? You can't be perfect, Charlie. Surely, surely not. 
<laughs> and this this is from this is from Polizzi. See, Polizzi's oh, asking great question, Steve. Damn you, Polizzi, what are you doing? Yeah, look, we've had many. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes we made is we got ourselves, when we purchased a property, we got ourselves into a position in New South Wales where we'd signed a contract and then we're having immense uh, trouble with finance. Like I, I really looked at it in that we didn't understand this whole uh, system in the same way and we didn't understand the differences between buying properties in states. And again, we were caught, caught out by this when we started buying in Queensland. I'm like, what's the justice of the peace? Like, who, who's that? Like, what do you need one of them for? because i i didn't you know we didn't have to deal with that before so that was certainly some of the bigger mistakes uh we made was just like very very messy on that we were very fortunate that we had again really good conveyances uh where we actually got saved a couple of times so we bought a property signed the contract and then our conveyancer rang us and basically said that all the works on the house had been illegally done so this person had just like put up a granny flat and just didn't ask anyone and yeah. we, we nearly purchased that house. So again, saved by the team. Uh, so that was a huge one in itself. Uh, we had a couple where uh, we uh, again bought properties quickly and thought we were going to be able to get 80% loans and then we couldn't. And we had to come up with immense amount of cash quickly. So they said, yeah, cool, you can buy this, but only on 70. And if you're buying yeah. a substantial property and all of a sudden you're like ringing your mum and like, hey, mum. Got a hundred grand? Like, <laughs> she's yeah, like, no. What have you done? <laughs> Absolutely. Some of the things like that. So I would say there have been some fairly substantial ones. We've been very fortunate that we elected to pay professionals to avoid a lot of these mistakes. So to this yeah. point is that we've definitely had properties we've pulled out of. We've definitely had things that have been uncovered. Um, we've definitely had little things like a shower base that was cracked. We didn't pick up and that cost us like six grand or a broken air conditioner. But in the, in the long game, I'm not particularly concerned about them. So I wouldn't call any of it really mistakes. I'd just say, hey, we, we learned a lot. I'm now someone who has experience in buying property and getting to this stage in a portfolio. If I had to do this again or do another one, I'm quite confident in navigating it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to yeah, go on to the a little a little bit on the mindset side of things around like you don't view pro- like one of the things I was listening to you on another podcast and you said something around like I'm not looking for long I'm not looking for short term gains at all. This is a this is a lot. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like um, I think there was some interesting insights there around that. Yeah, it seems to me that the shorter the time frame, the higher the risk. If you're trying to make a million dollars overnight, what you have to be willing to do to achieve that um, is incredibly high risk. At the same yeah. time, if you are taking a very long-term view to things, and this is business life and the rest, you don't actually have to be that good to be successful. Like it's actually the time is the major factor that plays through that. So I'm in a very um, lucky and fortunate position where I look at it and go like, we, we've done reasonably well in business. Like I'm not concerned about paying my bills. I'm also got a nice emergency fund where I don't worry particularly overnight about what's going to happen next week or next month. And I've always found that the longer you can think and the time frame you take towards these types of things, the better you can do. And I know this sounds very ironic from a person who's gone on a sprint uh, of buying property in a quick format or a quick time, but I'm by no means done. Like I will emphasize this is this is a tiny part of the journey that will expand into bigger things. Like I'm very hopeful in a couple of years, I'll come back and be like, yep, 20. And then it's 30 and then it's like, it's very much a game of being able to play it in that way. Um, I will say that I look at this as well and like, 
a big factor for me is my parents had a property and if they just held onto it, if they just didn't sell this one property, they would have done really well from it. And it's always stuck into me that if you're able to get yourself into a position and play that longer game, there's a huge amount of success that can come from just playing a long-term sport. So I love the quote by Naval Ravikon about, you know, play long-term games with long-term people and you'll do pretty well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Great book. Naval. Great book. The uh, re- Reading it right now. The, uh, the Almanac? The Almanac. The Almanac yeah. of Naval or whatever. The Naval Namac, I think it's N- called. Naval Namac. That's a fantastic Naval book. Naval there you go. Let's uh, let's let's jump into there. There, there's, there's been some quick audience questions come through. We probably we'll quickly cover these, and we've got uh, roughly seven. I'll mean, we'll go through as long as you want. But um, this is something. How how, how did you organise everyone in team to communicate? Like, talk talk us through the practicalities on how you did this. Yeah, I just threaten everyone to ruin them online and leave horrible Google reviews. <laughs> and, um, when when you do yeah, that, I mean, it works really well. You message everyone on Facebook so you know they can that they've seen your message, right? So you can see it. They have to acknowledge it. No, yeah. these are dirty tactics you only do at certain times. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, so um, we email has been a big component of this and uh, meeting. So when we actually purchase a property, and this is something uh, my wife actually does, is like from the second it starts is the buyer's agent, the broker, and the account are in the email thread. So everyone knows what stage it's at. And then the other component is I see this and it just fascinates me. It's like, if you're the one that wants the property and it's going to be your property, it's your responsibility to lead communication. If you're waiting for updates from people, that's you being shit at what you say you want. So I would say that if you're in the process of buying a property or doing those things, like you need to on a weekly basis, be checking in with everyone to make sure they have what they need so that you can apply appropriate support to doing so. Because like uh, an example I'll get is the banks have been a nightmare to deal with. If anyone's bought a property in the last 18 months, it's like the craziness of it. And it's gotten wilder the more we've bought. has just been absolutely nuts. And making sure that your broker is supported in getting what he needs or documents or justices of the peace or whatever it is, or that your accountant can get things done or your buyer's agent has been able to get things done or the pest in building, like you've got to be on it and make sure you're leading that. It's not yeah. anyone else's responsibility yeah. for you to be successful in life. No one cares more about your success than you. Act accordingly. Yeah, I, um, you, you've been throwing out the analogy, so I'm going I'm to do my best impression of, of a Charlie doing an analogy here. So um, I'd I, I liken the, the teamwork and, and the accountant and, and the broker. I'd liken it to playing tennis, right? Um, the, the balls, when, when your accountant asks you something, that's them hitting, your, hitting the ball back into your court. So the ball's in your court until you, until you hit it back. It's not on to them to do anything. So whenever you sort of, whenever you're complaining about why the account's taking so long, maybe it's actually maybe the ball's in your court, people. Maybe it's or, or maybe the buyer's agent, whoever it is, who and and that, that's applied to all aspects of life. I often thought, well, why why aren't these people doing something? And I picked up the phone or called them, and they're like, well, the reason I haven't done something is because I need this information from you. I'm like, oh, my bad. My fault. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm then you've got to run around guys- to their court. Have you guys ever come across someone on your show or in general investing? It's like, oh, wow, I've got a B team. I've got a shit accountant, a shit broker. And like, we killed it. We killed it, right? I'm the greatest investor ever. I'm like, it just doesn't happen. (laughs) I haven't got it yet. But we have had people that have had shit team, shit brokers, shit accountants. And that's their first one. And then they they move on. I'm uh, I'm in I'm in that camp. I started my investing journey and got a very poor team set up. I was I was uh, 
yeah anyway we I've, I've mentioned it too many times but it's so true it's so true your your team around you um makes you now one thing actually the 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 tight ass in me um has wanted to ask this question because you've got an accountant a buyer's agent solicitor and a mortgage broker all talking together right um they cost a lot of money so are you paying for an email? Are you paying for phone calls? Like, have you got a relationship set up where it's a fixed price with your accountant? Um, because obviously your broker gets paid by the bank. That's fine. Solicitor gets paid generally a fixed fee, but accountants are generally on the hourly side of things. How does it work out on the finance side of things? Oh, this is where we get controversial. This is like where we get very, very controversial. Oh, here we go. Okay. Um, like I completely acknowledge that, uh, how can I do this without pissing off the most amount of people? Actually, maybe we just go there. Just piss and both off equally. I honestly think that a lot of investors don't focus on earning more. I think that a shortcut in them being successful would be for them to achieve a higher income. So for me, and I again, I don't want to say this from an arrogant place, but my time in my business is worth more than my accountant's time or my time. So if, if they've got to spend an hour on this that I don't, that's actually winning for me. And I look at this and I go, well, even if they're all together on a call, what they're able to achieve through expertise, experience, and all the rest, it's still worth it. So I would say for a lot of people that if you're on a lower income and those types of things are concerned, like it's time to raise your income, like it's possible. Like I, I kid you or not, like I'm a high school dropout who did a plumbing apprenticeship because it looked glamorous in his father's <laughs> friendship circles. Right? Really? I am not a silver spoon kid. I'm just someone that had a crack and wanted it. Like those, if you live in Australia, if you're on this stream right now and you're in Australia, the opportunities that are available to you today are immense. And I think it's a shame so many people end up in careers or jobs they hate where it's literally for a paycheck and the paycheck isn't that good. So I would encourage like, number one, if you're serious about doing something big with property, the quicker path might actually be go do your own thing and earn more. Because yeah. if you're able to achieve that, you'll be able to grow a property portfolio way quicker. And you take, might actually like one, what you do. Yeah, take taking one step back to take two steps forward, kind of thing. Because it's you, you, you do take a hit when you when you run a business, but ultimately, if you believe in yourself and you actually, yeah, kind of um, can can stick at it, you'll um you you can turn into something. And and somebody asked me the other part, what business, Charlie? I'd say you're in. Would you say media business or podcast? What media podcast and marketing? What what kind of business would you describe yourself as? Yeah, so te technically it's media. That's the space yeah. we play. But as what we really do is we like we make podcasts and YouTube channels. That's what we do for a living. Awesome so, podcasts and YouTube channels, I might say as well. The best, only the best. <laughs> but um, no, that's that's fantastic. And I I, I kind of uh, I think Joe and I eventually will we'll have some conversation on this. We'll, I kind of just say, hey, look, Joe, I reckon we should just outsource that rather than us doing it. And, and I'm a little bit of a that's cheap star as well. Oh, I mean, things like accounts, setting up companies, mate. Like accounts are expensive, I know, but I think we just, I'm not our own company, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this offline, Joe. But um, no, I think, I think there's some things that we, we could do ourselves and there's some things that we need to outsource. Yes, definitely. It's, but it's like with, it's like with everything, right? Like even my own personal life, like I outsource so much stuff, like any online stuff that anybody else can do, they do it. Like I'm, I'm this close to just loading a debit card up on TransferWise or AirWallX and um, just saying, okay, this is your like card, Mr. Like someone in Bangladesh. Um, you, you, when I need something, can you just pay it with this? Like, 
because the hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, even if they run off with it, it's going to be like, okay, cool. He's gonna he's gonna sort out my rego. He's gonna sort out this for the year. I don't have to worry about it. The money's over there. Um, I just outsource all my online stuff, and I'm so much better, like so much better off. Except when it comes to this group, I'm very hands on, and I don't outsource everything. Um, we just made a survey, and we got some great questions that I outsourced, and then I created the entire survey thing on the silly platform. So I'm with you, Jeff. I'm with you. We're out, more outsourcing. I'm all no, for I it. I mean, having, having said that, I'm probably I'm I'm a, I'm a bigger micromanager than what you are in the group. You you sometimes see me up at just all just like deleting people's crap. But this is not about us. It's about Charlie. So yeah, let's, let's go on, go on, on point. Go so there's there's got to be one one last absolute uh, goal question that somebody wants to ask. And I know there's somebody. There is one that I can pick if somebody doesn't ask. And Crystal, if, if uh, we'll um, I'll, I'll I'll tag Charlie in it so that he can answer it if he's comfortable. But one more question. Um, but while we're doing it, Joe, I kind of want to. Well, I'm going to ask Joe's question that you normally ask because what the heck? Who cares? Charlie, was there one thing on this? on the stream that we didn't ask you that you wish that we had have asked you or talked about? Yeah. Was it worth it? Like, was it worth it? I think this is the thing. Um, anyone who's bought a property is in, has gone through, like I would say it's not as easy as I perceived. Like I, uh, I went in with blinkers on. I thought, you know, business is hard. Buying property has got to be easy. And yeah. I think it was much harder than I anticipated. There's more steps that are there. There's more challenges. There's certainly things from that, but was it worth it? And I, absolutely uh, above and beyond my expectations it has been so i would more than anything for someone who's uh, putting themselves out for the challenge of growing a business growing a property portfolio going deeper into this and hopefully doing something better for themselves like was it worth it and should they do it i i would encourage it i think people should try these things mm. yeah yeah, and I love the um, the idea of, of I don't think small business owners are doing this enough or medium-sized businesses where they're securing the asset base. Like you are locking in wealth and all of your, your you're earning it, you're earning it over here and then you're locking it down. Earn it over here, lock it down. Earn it over here, lock it down. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, why don't I just put that $10,000 into marketing, right? Like why don't I spend $10,000 on, on that? Um, instead of putting it into a property portfolio, which which you know might not give me the return, but then I guess I mean that's not really a question to you. I guess the the answer would be like, well, what if it doesn't work? What if you put ten thousand dollars into marketing and yeah. it just goes nowhere? Which is very easy. I would almost think about that differently. We spend more than ten thousand dollars a month on marketing easily. So okay. um, I, you hit a point though where you look at the returns you can invest into a company, and sometimes it's one very uh, undiversed. So you're very focused in a section and especially yeah. if you're doing anything online, like I could reinvest funds and it could keep going well and keep compounding into it. But if this industry ends 10 years from now, how do I get it back out? So I think the type of business and timing plays a big role. It's a huge yeah. one. I've seen many, many people get caught out by over-investing in their business. The second one that comes to mind is there's also a big challenge in my business is training people. So even if I was to reinvest in marketing, how fast can I hire and train people to deliver on that? So once you've meet, meet, or sorry, met an acceptable rate within that, you can see that you have excess cash or you may have things to do in a different way. So that's some of the points I would make onto this one is uh, from there. And then thirdly is just that I've seen business owners fuck it up. Like it's not guaranteed. <laughs> so I would much prefer for myself personally to diversify a little bit, have other options. Yeah, that's 
That's, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, it kind of, uh, for, for the way I've sort of uh, inter- or not interpreted, it, it goes a little bit against the grain of, of, of yourself. So I think you're kind of a, a very much kind of go, go, um, dig a, dig a, dig a uh, hole one, one, one mile deep or, or one, one meter deep and go, uh, so go very hard on one topic. But diversification, as you say, so it's kind of interesting to see that bit of a, a contrast. It's, I, I like it, I must say. It's, um, it's about nuance, I suppose. Um, but can, 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 do I have permission to have you on, on the stream for another sort of five minutes or so? Because it, I, I really want to address this one for Albie. Um, Let's go for and, it. And I to, yeah. Because um, I, I just think I, I saw this comment pop through and he just said, really hard to find, differentiate a good accountant, a buyer's agent and a broker to create a good team, not to, not to forget a mentor too, not as easy said and done. Um, I want to, I wanna, it's not really a question, it's a statement, but no, I, I kind of, that, that sort of hit a little bit of nerve for me because I've been in that kind of, I mean, I, I didn't wake up one day and, th- and have all this knowledge, have this network. Um, so I kind of want to say, what are your thoughts on that, Charlie? How, how do you kind of, what's, that's an objection really. So how do you overcome this objection that somebody has? Or okay, limiting so, uh, this is a really interesting one. It's like people think that I found someone and like, it was just like, you know, it all happened well. Like I had a terrible accountant in business and it cost me a lot yeah. of money my first year in because they didn't understand it. Um, yeah. Second to that is um, like we've made mistakes with people we've trusted in business or deals we've done and, and gone through it. Yeah. I'd also say that if I added up the amount of money I've spent on education, mentors, training for my business, probably could have bought another house in cash. Right? So it's like, <laughs> It, it is something you have to invest in this journey. I think yeah. the idea that someone's just going to hand you the perfect options for you when you're done is an illusion. So I almost would like you to think about if you're someone and you're looking to form for this team, really you're recruiting for this role and you should really get several people to apply and understand where they're different and who resonates with you and who's right and wrong. But then on yeah. the other point of it is, is if you can find someone, and I, I love this as a statement, but if you can find someone who's done the thing you're trying to do, what I would suggest you do is copy the fuck out of them. So if you have got someone who's got, hey, this guy's bought these things, done these things, sounds a bit like me, like that's often the biggest secret in starting point. And that doesn't mean you would hire those people necessarily, but if you use that as your benchmark, this person did this and they achieved that. Now you can start working through those types of things. And I will say this Facebook group, they're very generous. If you say, hey, I'm looking for a buyer's agent, they'll tell you who they use. Or if I, hey, who, which broker do you use? They'll tell you as well. So I would almost counter that to say, you know, it's really hard to find good people. I, I'm going to go out there and say you probably haven't done the work required to get a good result. So maybe Ooh. you've half tried or interviewed one person or two, and if you really swung for the fence, you could achieve a result. But it's just going to take a bit more effort. I promised, yeah. I promised a bit of tough love, and and um, I mean, not, not not it was only it was a smidgen of tough love. I just like um, to be a touch offensive on everything. Just, a, just, a, just enough to. Oh. Yeah, just I want enough. you to be so offended that you take massive action and achieve everything you want out of life. That's what I want. Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? But um, <laughs> again, it comes down to the education, right? It comes down to knowing what questions to be able to ask these folks. So if I walk into a broker and I have no idea what I need, I'm gonna be like, "Yeah, sure. You sound like you're gonna be good." And I'm going to mess up because I don't know the question. So, you know, I feel like there are so many threads in this group like that are just questions. Here are the top 10 questions to ask a broker to find out if they're nonsense. The other day, you know, last week, last month, it was in our newsletter, actually. A lady's like, hey, I'm just, you know, meeting with a buyer's agent for the first time. Boom. Here's 20 questions to ask them. You will find out if they're a shark or not. You know, three, four hours later. Yep. They were a shark. Couldn't answer this, couldn't answer this, couldn't answer this. Thank you. 
Like that's awesome. It's kind of on. It's kind of a bit on on um, on, on John and myself to actually do a bit of recording and show people how to find all this gold because there's so much in there. I, I kind of do it the very manual way of, of sharing the link, and but there is so much um, content, um, and and we, and we do our best to sort of curate it to some degree. I mean, we don't know all the operators in the industry. Uh, between John mm-hmm. and myself, we've, we've seen a lot of. Uh, I mean, I haven't got many grey hairs yet, but I've, I've been been around the traps a little bit, sniffed. Stiffed a few, um, stiffed a few hot moments. Um, that's a funny way of putting it. I'm not going to say it and use that analogy. But no, I, I would say, Avi, it, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. Anybody tells you it happened overnight, I, I would sort of dig a little deeper. I'd, I'd probably run the other direction. So really, um, just kind of stick right. around. It, it, took, it took me, yeah, it took me free. Took, yeah, it didn't happen overnight. You sort of, you have to just keep asking questions, keep, keep figuring it out, and just keep, keep taking shots. And eventually, you'll, you'll, um, you'll, you'll shoot a. You've shot a hundred point game, um, as Will Chamberlain did uh, back in the sixties. I think it was fifties or sixties. What are you talking about, mate? Basketball, <laughs> Will, Will Chamberlain. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, I think that was a sensational episode. I thoroughly enjoyed that, Charlie. I really well, want to. Where's the, the best place for people to? Sorry to interrupt, Joe, but I want to give Charlie. I, I know Charlie sort of runs. Don't give it to him, mate. Come on, where, Jesus. Where, 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 where's the best place for people if people want to check you out? Uh, where's the best? Um, yeah, what's the best place for them to do so? Uh, probably. So anyone in the group, like I'm in the group, I routinely <laughs> troll comments and put in provocative answers. Uh, apologies to anyone if you've seen my responses. I can't help but have a little bit of fun on the internet. Um, so if you post something, uh, I'm there trolling right away. Um, yeah. So please feel free, tag me. Give me your best troll post. Come hard. I'm ready for you. Um, anyway, the point I make from there, like engage with me in the group. You guys run an excellent group and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. I've learned things from the people you've had on. I've also had really great conversations with other people that are in the group. So big yep. props to that. That's probably a great way. Other than that, I'd probably say Facebook or my website, valamedia.com. Of course, yep. if you're not in the media space or have a business, the website's not of use to you in a big way, but I'm always happy to chat property. It's on my mind continually. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Amazing. No, I appreciate it, mate. I, yeah. I wanted to acknowledge like the – like. The effort and energy you've you've put into the property space, you just dived head first, and I think there's so many lessons to be learned in such a short space of time. And you just you're just a hustler. Like you get up, you go, you do it. You don't make excuses. You just get it done. And um, hopefully, this has added value to. Uh, well, I know it's added value to the group. It's added value to me. And, and this is going to be one of the one of the ones that I definitely rewatch because there's so many knowledge bombs in here. So I appreciate it. Uh, the best, cheers the best for having me, guys. It was good fun. Yeah, easily the best one ever done. Easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. All right, guys. My, well, my absolute good. pleasure to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Enjoy yourselves. Bye bye. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together.